Yo, welcome back to NMMU. This is the weekly. Damn, it feels good. Episode thirty. Whoa. You know, the last time I was here in this sort of intentional way, I was still in my twenties, which is crazy. Okay, so we're back. I've been asking myself this question. Um, if everyone's starting a podcast, who's listening to all the podcasts that are already out there? Because there are so many, so many different podcasts packed with episodes. So I thought I'd put it on myself to listen or rather share from my point of view of what I've been consuming without the pressure of being, you know, a pundit or even um, an expert. For me, this is just about being able to comment weekly in the space and also to share, you know, from a point of view of, you know, an entrepreneur, a young male, African, um, and just how I'm viewing, you know, what I'm seeing around the world. So this week, it's pretty cool. I think I'm going to kick off this episode with Kobe's Muse Cage. So I came across this, I want to say... About a week ago, that's emails coming in. Get that work, get that bread. So I came across Kobe's Muse Cage a couple weeks ago. um, And to me, it just described or showed, you know, a legend in his next phase, the next phase of his life. Obviously, rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. And he was talking about the kind of content he'd be making for young children. I thought that was so interesting. And just trying to teach them lessons around basketball and you know I think mental health and different themes I guess that were in that direction so I found Kobe's Muse Cage really cool I think I'm gonna play the part that really sort of got me going so as promised Kobe's Muse Cage every Muse Cage is powered by two forces Light musings. You're nice. Oh, thank you. You're great. Oh, so nice of you. <laughs> and dark musings. You're worthless. <laughs> You're a failure. Make it stop. Yeah. Light musings make you feel good and happy. <laughs> dark musings make you feel bad and angry. Oh, I don't like dark musings. Most people don't. But what they don't understand is that dark musings just may be our greatest source of energy and power. If you're looking for your inner beast, it's most likely living inside of a dark muse. Really? I don't know. I don't like feeling bad and angry, but I do need to find my inner beast. What should I do? Do, 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 do. is the face of a man with a dark muse cage This is the face of a man with a dark muse cage I thought an important place to start 
they made a song. So part of the content Kobe was creating was obviously visual. So the animations. In this example, there's a puppet. So anyway, why I thought I'd start here is the idea of a muse cage is almost like the people who do what do you call those things? Vision boards. Okay, and I think the vision boards also balance out on things that are good and things that are bad, and goals that you're trying to attain in the short term. Uh, medium term and even the long term, but I think it's important always to look at what you're consuming. So I look at the idea of a muse cage or a vision board, and imagine having a room that had everything that you wanted to do, all your musings, everything that inspires you, all in one room. That's what's exciting to me about a muse cage. I think in Sherlock they speak about it.、Um, With the terminology a mind palace, so Sherlock, another one of、um, the people that inspired this. So I've been consuming so much different stuff, you know, in the audio space, movies, even in books. And I think you need to live a bit of life before you ever share or package. That's just me. So that's why I'm back. I feel like I'm filled to the brim with things I've seen,、uh, things I've read. You know, and some experiences that I'd like to share. You know, I mentioned earlier I was in my twenties, or rather at the end of my twenties last time I I shared here, and now I'm well into my thirties, turning thirty-one this year. Crazy, thirty-one is not like twenty-one. So I start off with the muse cage, just to say I hope the things you consume, you know, are good and healthy. I think we all have a balance of social media, and apologies for the back. I'm at the office right now, so you're hearing cars drive past. We all have a balance of good and bad based on our experience with our phones, social media, etc. But it's important to know that you have a limited bandwidth, you know, in terms of the things you can take in. And me, who's a super overstimulated person, super overstimulated. Is that a real one? I always look at it like I have to find a way to do something with all this information I'm taking in, or else it will definitely give me anxiety.、Um, so I'm hoping on your side you have musings and things that keep you going, even when the world makes you feel down, even when the world makes you feel like you're not gonna make it, or even if the world makes you feel inadequate. I hope you have something. That keeps you going. I look at it like a muse cage is just as important as a muse itself, and believing in what a muse is. A muse cage is just as important as a muse. <laughs> I'm playing with the effects now, but thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. I'm excited for what comes from here.、Um, And let's get stuck in. So this week on the weekly, everything one k. That's definitely about inflation and everything literally costing. Remember, it used to be everything cost a hundred rand. Now everything cost a thousand rand. The second is、uh, protect the models. I was listening to the Guardian this week, and there's a story about Jean Luc Brunel. Who was an ex-model agent?、Um, he 
recently died, Feb of 2022, but he was associated with Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein funded one of his uh, modeling agencies. That's what's been found. And just the stories coming out, more stories in that space. Uh, the next is Digital Crack. I listened to something super interesting on TikTok and why we love it so much. Um, 78 Minutes to Live. This is about the Uvalde, Texas shooting at the school. And I listened to something from the New York Times speaking to why it took 78 minutes for the cops to do anything. The Dark Passenger and Young Men in Crisis I'd probably link together. Um, and that's just down to, you know, they feel like they're in the same space. One is a reference from Dexter and the other is from an article I read by a professional role model, I'd call him, uh, Prof G. And I think the two link. And that's really why, you know, or really what I felt like this week was about. If I had to encompass it, there's obviously different things going on. I have no control over those things. But this is something that I felt like, you know, could anchor the entire weekly. So enjoy. Enjoy the clips. Thank you for being here. Run that back. For many ordinary people, it's now an uphill struggle to balance the family budget. If you hear today that inflation's rising, you might not feel worried or even know exactly what that means. But there was a time... Price increases reached a peak in June 1975 when they were running at nearly 40% a year. A time of brown corduroy flares and big, big hair when everyone was talking about it. I don't think there'd be any problem if they brought wages up and above, just a little above prices. And you can ask anybody around here, that money doesn't go as far now as what it did before. That was more than 40 years ago, when the cost of living got seriously out of control. We're a long way from that kind of crisis today. Inflation, the measure of how much the cost of goods and services is going up, is at 4%, not 40. But it is rising, and a lot of people are worried. There is no doubt that we face inflation and that it will have a very big impact on living standards. The consumer price index in Great Britain rose more than 4% over the year last month. So I wanted to start there as far as inflation. And it's interesting. I was watching a show this week. It actually came out this week. <laughs> and it's called Pistol. And it's about the rise of the sex pistols. Uh, Vivian Westwood. The other names that I'm forgetting... But what an interesting thing. It's set in the 70s, which was the rise of, you know, punk rock. Punk rock really a reaction to the establishment, almost like protest music um, from the working class. So, you know, speaking from that point of view, I thought was a great segue point to speak about inflation. I think as a young person, I understand inflation to be what you're able to spend with the same amount of money, as in you're not making more money, but things are changing in price. And, you know, it's for me, I experience it from the point of view of work, from the point of view of things that cost um, more now, like bread, milk. And I'd still say I'm probably on the more privileged side of this because 
you know, I'm not desperate for any of these. And I think push comes to shove. Um, if I couldn't afford uh, to feed myself, I could always go home, back to the bosom, back to mom. So, you know, it's important for me to start here. I thought everywhere you look in South Africa, the petrol price is going up. I'm so glad I drive a car that takes such little petrol. This is not the time for the gas guzzler. And then you look at things like, you know, the working world and you assume there's a lot of, you know, retrenchments going on now as a result of the beginning of the pandemic. I think inflation is kind of like global warming. We kept getting warned. There were all these conferences warning us. And now that it's here, I think it's always going to be more shocking than, you know, the warning itself. But I think for a long time, if you look at the bailouts and, you know, uh, pay vacations or payment holidays that were instituted by government and some private firms, that has to go away. I think we'll all come out of this on the other side, but for now it feels very, very, very painful. We're also only entering into our winter in South Africa, so that's also you know, a sign of this is going to hurt for a little bit for most people. Don't quote me on this. I saw an article in the Wall Street Journal just about how millennials feel like by the end of the month, this is millennials in America that make upwards of $250,000 a year, feel like every month they've spent almost to zero, you know, in the past year and a half. So that's super telling and super scary. I'm not sure where you put your mind in terms of this, but I think the time... To panic is not now, you know, make the best of a crisis um, by getting through it. And I think, if anything, just follow the same plan you've been following. I think things have a way of turning around and hopefully that's the truth for you too. If your car is completely empty, there's not a drop of fuel left in it and you've just done that jerky motion thing into the petrol station and you've got to the front of the queue and you're filling to the brim this evening you're going to save yourself 116 rand 50 this evening compared to what you will do if you fill up tomorrow morning if your car is half full or half empty depending on your predilections i suppose you're going to save yourself 58 rand 25 uh, by topping it up this evening what is worth your time for a once or 58 rand benefit, I wonder? What is your is 58 bucks to sit in a queue this evening, idling in your car? Getting bored, getting a bit agitated, possibly going into the shop at the petrol station because you're bored of waiting in the queue and spending 100 bucks on snacks because you feel like you deserve them because you're saving yourself money. I wonder what your thinking is as you sit in the queues this evening. If these cues are, as long as Eyewitness News suggests, certainly there are images on the TV screen in front of me suggesting that people are, are queuing to save. But what is your time worth? What is it worth to idle, I wonder? Well, prices going up to $124 a barrel today. European Union leaders agreeing to a plan to block more than two-thirds of Russian oil imports. 
over the invasion of Ukraine and uh, oil price today, the highest level we've seen it in two months. And prices for oil and gas, of course, have, have rocketed over the last couple of months. And uh, we're seeing rising energy costs putting huge pressure on consumers, absolutely huge pressure. So every, every rand saved is a rand well-earned, frankly. But the price of 95 octane petrol is going up by 2 rand 33 tonight, uh, 93 by slightly more. Diesel go up by 1 rand 10 and paraffin 1 rand 56. That was Wednesday night. So I'm just running it back because I guess it fits into the narrative of everything costing 1K. <laughs> um, what a thing to go through. And I think the important question Bruce asks there is, what is your time worth? You know, what is your time worth? Because I think that, on, that question needs an answer in different spheres. I think also you can imagine... At the point, you know, that you're leaving university or starting a new job, seeing changes in your relationship, your time begins to change in value through all those things. So things like the petrol price going up or load shedding just reminds you of how better, I guess, your time could be used. And if anything, um, hopefully you're getting the value for your time. Marianne Shine had worked as a model in the 1980s. Um, I worked in a modeling agency called Legends and Mannequins. She'd just been reading Lucy's article in which eight women alleged they'd been sexually assaulted or raped by the French modeling boss Gerald Marie while they were signed to his agency. Allegations Marie has categorically denied. When Marianne read about their experiences, it brought back painful memories of what had happened to her in Paris. Uh, it was 1986, but certain events in one's life, doesn't matter when it happens, you can just stay there mm. vividly in your mind. Mm. Um, Marianne then spoke to Lucy on the phone. Later, your article came out, I'm like, all right, I'm going to start telling people. Mm. And for the first time, she said she was ready to tell a journalist that she had been sexually assaulted too by another leading fashion agent, a man called Jean-Luc Brunel. At the time, I wondered if you knew that it was happening to other girls as well. No, absolutely didn't at all. When this thing happened to me, I felt like I couldn't tell anybody. So I really felt alone. Mm. I thought it was unique to me. It wasn't. Marianne is one of six women to go on the record and speak to Lucy about being abused by Brunel. Once I started reporting on it in The Guardian, I was just contacted by so many models that had such similar stories and, and whose lives had just been so impacted by this. And in recent years, they've not only realised that they weren't the only ones to have experienced this behaviour, they're also reading in the news today that they were part of something so much bigger. Just uh, when we thought we'd heard the last of Jeffrey Epstein, we get another reminder of the horrors he committed against young women and girls. Brunel was friends with Jeffrey Epstein, and it's alleged he supplied over a 1,000 young women and teenagers to the convicted paedophile. Lucy's investigation into Jean-Luc Brunel and the system of abuse... So you should listen to this. Um, abuse in the modelling industry, The Guardian today in focus, 
I listened to that on Tuesday. Right? It's so important, I think, to speak about this. First of all, the hangover of Jeffrey Epstein is still with us. But slowly but surely, the people that were co-conspirators, I'd like to say, are slowly but surely being either arrested or meeting an untimely demise. Um, I was listening to this, obviously, thinking about the vulnerable space, you know, that is modeling. I know some friends that model or have wanted to model. And being in front of the camera is such an interesting thing. It's almost like you're in the hands of the people, the crew. So, you know, finding spaces that are safer because for a lot of the times, I mean, even listening to this story, modeling starts from such a young age, you know, and the people that are responsible, you know, I'd like to say for the models are, you know, as just as responsible as a parent, I'd like to say. So listening to this story and just being reminded of the fact that even to this day, you know, the modeling industry is what it is. And some people want that life and some people are ushered into that life, you know, because of how they look. Um, I think an interesting look, um, what we'd all call appealing, beautiful, etc. And I, and I think that's the, you know, the good and evil, because I think that can do a lot of good for you, but can do a lot of bad. I think also when we're talking about um, protection of models or even just women or just the vulnerable, really, um, we need to prioritize that in that space. I think the crux of this episode is that the modeling industry hasn't so much changed because there's still people that are coming out and alleging things against different men in the modeling industry. So, you know, I thought, what a, what a nice listen, you know, just to remind ourselves of this, I want to say, long fight in um, creating safe spaces. And I think a lot of these safe spaces will come from speaking about stuff, having an opinion, um, and I just thought, what a scary, scary thing that that still happened. I think even when you get into the details of the descriptions of how um, uh, Jean-Luc Brunel abused uh, the lady in question, it's just, it's sad. That's all I can say. It's disappointing, it's sad, and I really hope that young men coming up, you know, in this era will do and work to change that and create safe spaces. So I don't think a lot of people realize how rapidly TikTok took over our time. Many people probably hadn't even heard of TikTok before the pandemic. I remember seeing ads for it on Facebook and not really paying much attention to them, to be honest. But fast forward to today, the app has 1.6 billion monthly users. That's more than Twitter, Snapchat, and LinkedIn combined. It has, for the past five quarters, been downloaded more than any other app. TikTok's ad revenue is likely to exceed $11 billion in 2022. That's more than Twitter and Snapchat combined. Your average user spends more time on TikTok than on Facebook and Instagram combined. Meta mentioned TikTok five times on its February earnings call. Now, last year in May, 
the average U.S. TikTok user was spending 24.5 hours per month in the TikTok app. Think about that. That's 294 hours a year or almost two entire weeks of their life scrolling through TikTok. What the fuck? How did this happen? Why did this happen? Now, the answers are really honestly not that complex. I'm not a scientist, but I also know it doesn't take one to just look and see how TikTok's meteoric rise is rooted in basic psychology and biology. So let's talk about the app for a second. If you don't already have it, when you open the TikTok app, you are immediately fed a full screen vertical video that is almost guaranteed to be entertaining because a million other people have either liked it and watched it or based on a million other factors like what you've watched previously, where you are, dot, 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 it's just going to be a guaranteed hit, a dopamine hit, bang. And after you're done with that clip, all you have to do is move your thumb up. That is it. And let's discuss that. All you have to do in the app is move your thumb up. The app automatically fills the I dig TikTok so much. Like it I also say to friends, like TikTok is super healthy. Um, a healthy version of social media. And it has to do with that feeling that the gentleman on Hustle Daily is describing. I listened to that this week. TikTok in the last year, um, as far as users, has grown by a hundred and seventy plus million. That's like the population of like couple countries mixed <laughs> um and i think it's important because the conversation he's having is around time and where we put our attention and i think tiktok is one of those platforms that's very reinforcing of the things you like as opposed to just feeding you things that anger you for example like um, facebook has been accused of in the past but i think if you look at where the world's going as far as attention you know, I'm watching Obi-Wan Kenobi right now from Disney+. Plus. Obviously, watch The Mandalorian. Uh, Boba Fett I watched as well. Um, Obi-Wan obviously being the, what do you call them? They're called, the, I can't, damn it. Anyway, can't find the words, but it's really good. But what I've noticed, though, is if you've watched the episodes are about 45 to 50 minutes. That's a lot of attention. And I even notice with myself while I'm watching, I'll go on socials. I'll even go on TikTok, for example. But I think what they're speaking to in the Hustle Daily article is, in the end, our attention or the generation coming up, let's say the teens, the Gen Zs, they're going to be people who not can't concentrate necessarily, but you know, innately inside of the... Um, the coding of their generation will be a low attention span because of how popular. Think about it like this. You can view about, I don't know, 30 TikToks in a 24-minute session. I'm, I'm sure it's even more than that. Some are 30 seconds, some are a minute. It's, it's, it's crazy and it feels cool. There's also another point they made in the in the little review on TikTok, which was when you go to TikTok... Or rather, when you go to Netflix, for example, or Hulu or HBO Max, there's an average time you spend just looking for what to watch. When you get to TikTok, there's no choice even. It's like, this is what you watch. And as you swipe up, it just gets better. It's almost like a hit or miss thing, almost, actually. Um, and whether it gets better or worse, in your brain, the psychology is kind of, you know, 
um, enticing you to try again. Slot machine uh, theory, Robert Sapolsky, Google that gentleman's name when we, when talking about phones and social media and how it works. But TikTok is probably one of the biggest platforms of our generation. I think Facebook was one for my generation being in my 30s now and looking at, for example, what they still have left. You know, Instagram is still owned by Facebook. WhatsApp came from the Facebook sort of uh, era as well. So TikTok is going to be a big one. I think everything is going to live on the advertising, wellness. I think there's a way and you can already see with the creators that are already on there that they're really, really putting their foot in it. They're really putting their foot in it and creating a great standard for what we'll be consuming to come. So digital crack. Um, if you don't have TikTok, please get it. Don't be left behind. And this is your opportunity to not have a username with an underscore. What's the difference between barricaded subject and active shooter? I don't understand that terminology. I mean, how is law enforcement supposed to respond in each type of case? So there's been a lot of law enforcement thinking around this in recent years. And in an active shooter situation, the practice is you go in immediately. You don't wait as soon as you have enough officers to safely do so. Or even one officer can make that determination to go in. But the important thing is that there's no hesitation. There's no waiting for special equipment or any of that. You go in to stop the shooting, which means to try and incapacitate or kill the shooter, and then to stop people from dying. So you treat the wounded. And you do that in that order. But the paramount important thing is to stop the shooting from happening. So what about a barricaded subject? What is that? And how should the police respond in that kind of situation? So a barricaded subject is, is very different. It's someone who's armed inside a space that's hard to get into and isn't posing any kind of immediate risk to civilians at that moment, but is instead focused on keeping law enforcement. So this away. is from the New York Times. Um, I'm only going to play a little bit of it. You should go listen to it. I think I was so interested to hear the facts of what happened. I think when a news story breaks, constantly we're, we're looking at the shiniest part and now when you're able to break down why certain things happen, how the police reacted, there's stories in here like young children calling from inside of the school, calling 911, young people that were in those classrooms. Um, obviously, there are gory details, very harsh details. Um, just be careful while listening. But honestly speaking, this was, you know, and we're almost done with this episode this was the part where it started to change from things I'd just seen that were in the, you know, matrix, if you like, to a theme of understanding young people and the decisions they make. Um, so, yeah, 78 minutes it took the police. So an hour and 28, no, an hour and 18 minutes, sorry. Um, it took them to act. That's some bad math. <laughs> an hour and 18 minutes it took them to act that's insane and within that time young kids are dying such a hard thing to listen to i'm not a parent i have you know friends with kids i have um you know older figures in my life that have children and i just i wonder how they felt the day hearing just hearing that news 
scary thing, very scary thing. Another thing that was just in the news this week. I think we should all reflect on this moment and just also more than anything understand how close we all are to a moment like this. Um the world is changing and it's getting harder for some, easier for others. And what is the reaction? What should we expect? Um I'll be amiss to say very very heartbreaking story. Um let me know what you think after you listened. But it just kind of left me even more stunned than when I first heard. I'm Dexter and I'm not sure what I am. I just know there's something dark in me. I hide it. I certainly don't talk about it. But it's there. Always. This dark passenger. And when he's driving, I feel alive. Half sick with the thrill, complete wrongness. I don't fight him. I don't want to. He's all I've got. Nothing else could love me. Not even. Especially not me. Or is that just a lie? the dark passenger tells me. Because lately, there are these moments when I feel... connected to something else. Someone. And it's like... the mask is slipping. Things, people, who never mattered before are suddenly starting to matter. So that's from Dexter, the show. Uh, the idea of a dark passenger is basically described, excuse me, it's basically described as, and I'll read, this is a quote from. Uh, Dexter, I'm not sure which season. I just know there's something dark in me. I hide it. I certainly don't talk about it, but it's there always. The dark passenger. And when he's driving, I feel alive. Half sick with the thrill of complete wrongness. I don't fight him. I don't want to. I thought that was such an important thing to discuss. Because I also feel like in each of us is a dark passenger brought on by you know, in this case with Dexter, childhood trauma. I'm not sure what trauma different people have gone through. But, you know, I'd like to think it's created this voice. You know, sometimes it lives in the subconscious. But what is this dark passenger? And sometimes it takes over, especially when I'm low, especially when I'm unsure of myself, especially when um, I need to be affirmed you know, on the things I believe or even who I think I am. In Dexter, there's a balance, right, which is why I like Dexter. 
he uses the dark passenger for good. At least he feels that way. And, you know, there's been that comparison. Don't quote me on this. A surgeon has got the same amount of tools as a serial killer in terms of their capabilities. But that's just showing that they're using their gift in a different way. One to help and one to hurt. And that's what Dexter feels like he's doing. He feels like he's ridding the world of bad people. You know, he has rules that he follows when it when coming um, to the point of, you know, killing somebody. And, you know, it's just interesting in the times we're living in now, this idea of a dark passenger and, you know, the mental health or mental wellness boom being about controlling that and, you know, redirecting it. So I thought that was an interesting thing. You know, I just finished the new season of Dexter. Um, I won't spoil it. Harrison comes back. He realizes Harrison has a dark passenger. And, you know, just the idea of a dark passenger we're going to keep talking about on this podcast just because, you know, more and more understanding that dark passenger and making way, you know, there's that, there's the thing about going to sleep with your demons as opposed to hiding them away, being next to them, understanding them. You know, in, in uh, meditation, they speak about thoughts arising and noticing them and making a choice about what you're going to do. And I think a lot of people are going to be faced with this. And hopefully you're able to redirect your dark passenger and, you know, avoid, you know, sort of letting it take the wheel. I was saying to a friend, I had to get off Instagram for a little bit because I felt like I didn't have the control to the to my remote as in it wasn't me. I'd wake up, you know, unannounced because, I don't know, my mind remembered I needed to check Instagram or my stories or whatever. But the dark passenger, you know, stay with me on this one. Um, but I think as we conclude for the week and speak about young men in crisis, I think just have a thought or spare a thought for the dark passenger in every one of us and how... We need to bring or rein that passenger in. Based on a number of critical measures, including education, economic security, and socialization, young men are failing. Let's start with education. In 2021, men accounted for 40% of college enrollments, down from nearly 60% in 1970. If we're gonna talk about graduation rates, it gets even worse as men drop out at a greater clip than women. There might be two female college graduates in the next five years for every one male. College-educated men earn a median $900,000 more over their lifetime than those who only graduated from high school. Fewer men going to college means fewer men on pathways to economic prosperity, which also has implications on their prospects for meaningful relationships. As a species, we need physical and social contact, and we thrive on deep, meaningful bonds. Men who fail to attach to partners, careers, or communities grow bitter and often seek volatility and unrest. They are more susceptible to fringe theories and over-index on online forums filled with conspiracy and misogynist content and misinformation. This isn't to say that young women don't face comparable difficulties in society. Girls face unique threats from men, from media that exploits their fears and insecurities, and as women, they will enter a working world where the deck is sometimes stacked against them. 
Boys too face unique threats, and these have been getting more ominous in recent years. And they are ill-prepared for these challenges by a culture that conflates masculinity with toxicity and aggression with strength. Men are twice as likely to overdose, three and a half times more likely to commit suicide, and are nine times more likely to be incarcerated. The reduction of economic pathways for young people is no less serious for women, but it appears to be less dangerous. When young women feel shame and rage, they don't grab AR-15s. A report by the U.S. Secret Service revealed that one in three mass violent attackers in 2019 had symptoms of a mental illness, and 92% of them were male, and more than two-thirds were under the age of 35. The most dangerous person in the world, a young, broke, and alone man. Crazy. So I'll end it off right there. Thank you so much for listening. I think often you'll see that I'm quoting stats from the U.S., um, but if you think about young men in crisis and South Africa and gender-based violence, um, which for the most part is driven by young men, um, there are statistics that obviously speak about different ages, but if we're looking into the future, it's definitely young men that need to learn these lessons. Um, I don't want to add too much onto that. I think as we go about this season, I think we're going to tackle these topics over and over again. And I'm just excited to be back weekly. Catch you next week. So, yeah, that was the weekly. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next week. Um, taking you through the different things I've listened to sharing my opinion and hoping you share yours eventually everything is bollocks don't forget but here's the weekly wherever podcasts are available hey <laughs> see you next week